Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. The breakthrough is only half the battle. Just because you have the stellar idea doesn't mean you win. Just because you have the execution doesn't mean you win. It just means you're halfway there. The other half is communicating it to the world. Sure, I can make videos, but if I never appear on shows, how is anyone going to find out about those videos? We need to promote. We need to communicate. We need to scale our ideas in the same way, effort, and detailed approach that we used to create those ideas in the first place. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't yet, listen to my recent conversations with wealth mentor Jackson Millan and with business strategy and marketing consultant Mike Moll, then please go check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Brendan Kumarasamy. He's the founder of Master Talk a YouTube channel he started to help the world master the art of public speaking and communication. He coaches purpose-driven entrepreneurs on how to master their message and share their ideas with the world. In our discussion, Brendan talked to me about why you need to have one specific presentation topic and rehearse or practice that at least 300 times. We talked about why a good presentation is like a jigsaw puzzle. And Brendan explained how asking powerful questions can give you deep insights about others and most importantly, about yourself. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Brendan Kumarasamy. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Montreal in Canada, Brendan Kumarasamy, who's the founder of Master Talk, specializing in impactful public speaking. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Brendan. It's a real privilege to have you here as my guest. Pleasure is mine, Jürgen. Thanks for taking the time. Now, where did the idea of Master Talk come from? Yeah, of course. That was a long one, but I'll make it short. The idea was when I went to university, again, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing footy or rugby or cricket, I never really had a passion for that. So what I did is I used the same competitive spirit 
that I had in sports and I applied them to presentations. That's how I got really good. So what happens is over the last couple of years, I was just presenting for fun competitively. So I presented hundreds of times, coached a bunch of people. And then when I got a job in the corporate world, after I graduated from university, I asked myself a simple question, which is how do I make a difference in the world? How do I add more value to the people around me? And that's where the idea for Master Talk came because I noticed that a lot of the communication information was horrifyingly bad. So I started making <laughs> videos in my basement. One thing led to another, and here we are today. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. All right. Uh, so um, the case case competitions a uh, little bit like Toastmasters or different. Yeah. So there's some similarities. But a good way of thinking about case competitions, it's like Toastmasters for professionals. So mm -hmm. Toastmasters is a great organization, and I highly recommend it for anyone who's listening because it's very inexpensive, and there's usually a club in every city in the world. But for case competitions, the environment's very different. So in a Toastmasters club, you might be presenting to other people in your city, locals. But in cases, you're presenting to executives of companies. Right, so you're 20 years old, you're 21 years old, a business gives you a problem. And a lot of schools from Europe actually fly out to Montreal every year to give PowerPoint presentations. It's crazy, really. <laughs> and you're presenting sometimes to the actual CEO of the company, to the executive of the company. So it's a very high-stress, high-pressure environment. It's also a lot of fun, hmm. kind of like professional sports in some ways. So that, those are probably the big differences, but the idea is you pick a business problem, you solve that problem for an actual company, and the person who has the best solution wins the competition. All oh, right. Okay. So it's not just speaking about something that you choose. You're actually given the topic and you have to solve a problem. You got it. You essentially read a 20-page document. You figure out what the problem is from reading that document. You make slides, financial statements, all that stuff. And by the way, you have access to zero internet. You have three hours to do it. And then after the three hours are over, you have to present your solution. Hmm. Yeah, that, that is very high pressure. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty and how many, of these, how many of these would you have done? Oh, that's the golden question. Hmm. I am what we call a case competition nut, right? <laughs> the only reason, Jurgen, that I have friends in almost every country in the world is because I've competed or coached people across all of those competitions. So I myself have probably competed in 50 of these competitions when I was in university, which is a pretty high number. And mm. for each presentation, for each competition, I practiced at least five to 10 times on average. So in a, in a span of three years, I probably practiced 250 to 300 presentations, but that doesn't include the other teams I was coaching. So we send people to Germany, we send people to Thailand, to Serbia, to, to give PowerPoint presentations. So I was very obsessive about uh, cases. Mm. So pre-COVID, these were all in-person events? That's correct. And then after, uh, they all went online. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that later on. Now, one of the things I noticed in your LinkedIn profile is you're a business transformation consultant with IBM. So I'm curious a little bit as to, and tell us what you can about that. Obviously, there might be secrecy involved there but tell us what that means and uh, i mean what particularly excites me is that word transformation because i use that quite a lot in, in my marketing yeah absolutely so the way that you can think about my role at ibm is most people that tie this back with case competitions most people that compete in those competitions 
get jobs at companies like that. That's the main reason we compete because a lot of these companies sponsor the competition so they can like pick the students that they want to hire. And that's what happens with a lot of people through the program. It's just for me, it turned into this weird obsession where I just ended up loving these, this weird competition environment. So essentially what IBM I do is I help a lot of my clients navigate their, their technology solution. So let's say they want to implement a new system. Let's say they want to do something with the company. They come to us and they say, what do you think? How do you think we should approach this? How do you think we can move forward to achieve this goal? That's one way of thinking about it. But the, the, what's interesting is my whole university career was to get that job. It was not to be a YouTuber. It wasn't to be this, oh, let me get on a, what's a podcast? I don't even know what that is. Hmm. But then it's after I got the job that I started to think a lot more philanthropic. And I said, hey, I'm successful now. I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. I'm going to be an executive of this company if I work there long enough. But what can I do for the world now? And unintentionally, the weird consequence of doing all these competitions, Jurgen, is I ended up becoming the youngest professional speech coach without knowing it. Hmm. It was really weird. Yeah. All right. And so, so Master Talk is kind of your way of giving back to the world and, and you're still pursuing your corporate career as your primary way of generating revenue for your lifestyle. Right. So, so it's good. Yeah, you, you pretty much nailed it, Jurgen. It, what's interesting is, is the mass truck has evolved a lot. So at the beginning, it was, I can't make this a business. It's just me in a basement. Mm. I'm just making videos. I'm going to stay at IBM. But then over time, as mass truck accumulated more and more success, and people wanted me to coach them for money, I said, wait, what? what's happening over here? When that, when that started happening, then Mastrux started developing a lot more revenue. So now I, have to, I probably have a hard decision to make, which is what I want to do mm. with my life, which I'm still figuring out. But I do know that one day I'll probably end up going full-time with Master Talk. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's fascinating. And, um, you know, I, I, I admire the, I mean, I, I love that you're very conscious about, hey, I, I've got a job that I love doing. I'm making a difference. In fact, that was what I set out to do. And now this other thing's taking off. So you transition at a time that suits you and works for your lifestyle. So unlike a lot of other people that kind of cast the ship off the jetty into the unknown of the big ocean and, and they have this business and so they're relying on that business succeeding and giving them the revenue that they need, but they've basically burnt the bridge back to what was providing their income beforehand. Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely not my style. <laughs> All right. Now, you probably get a lot of death by PowerPoint presentations in the corporate world, or have you managed to clean that out of IBM yet? Oh, no, that's, that's, that's an impossible task. We'll have to get some other guest on to teach us how to do that. The, but the way that I think about it is how can, I, how can we use our ideas to help the people who are meant to be the next geniuses of our society. Like, you know what I find crazy, again, and that's the thesis behind Master Talk in many ways, is Elon Musk didn't grow up watching me. Hmm. You know, like someone like Elon is doing so many great things in society. I wish he was a much better communicator. He doesn't need to be. I mean, he's very successful. I don't have any negative feedback to give the guy. But I mean, the people who are meant to make a difference in the world, especially before they have their first exit, before they actually accumulate success, I want to make sure that those people have the resources to learn how to speak, to share ideas that matter to people who need to hear them. 
way before they actually accumulate success. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. Now, there's a couple of things to unpack there. And the first one is, I mean, well, there's two kinds of people, I guess, I see that, um, well, three kinds. There's the master communicators. But the two kinds I'm thinking of are the ones that believe that they're afraid of speaking in public or presenting in front of an audience and the ones that are not afraid of it but are just not good at it and need to be coached in improving. So um, let's tackle the one people who might be afraid first. So what what's the biggest issue there and how do you address that? Right, absolutely. So the first thing we need to realize about the fear of public speaking, again, is the following. The fear of public speaking is not our fault. The reason we're all scared of public speaking is because most of the presentations we give in our lives are mandatory. We don't wake up one morning and go, hey, Jürgen, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Says nobody. Nobody says that. So when you're in school, high school, university, college, work, it's always the same drill. You're always presenting topics you don't care about to students who don't listen to you, to teachers who don't have time to coach you. And this behavior gets repeated so many times in our lives that we believe that public speaking is a chore. Of course I'm scared of it. It's a chore. It's like doing the dishes. I don't want to do them. So we get trained to believe that it's a bad thing. So how do we fix it? The way that we fix public speaking is by understanding. Fear, I mean, is by understanding the following. The fear will always be there. right? I'm a professional speaker. I'm still scared of public speaking. It's still something I, I talk about a lot. But the difference is that the fear never gets in the way of the presentation. Why? Because the message is more important than the fear. One way of thinking about this is if your fear and your message were in a boxing match together, Fear is always going to be in the ring. You're always going to fight against it, but you need to make sure that your message gets the knockout punch every single time. That is how I want people to think about it. And I'm a great example of this. I started MasterTalk when I was 22, and I started coaching senior-level executives of companies when I was 23, so people double, sometimes even triple my age. Why do they trust me with their transformation? What gives me the confidence to say, I can do this, I can teach people how to communicate properly, even if they have a lot more experience than I do? It's by understanding the following. Yeah, sure, I'm scared, but I have a belief system. I believe something about the world that is so important, that is so crucial to the evolution of the human race, which is free communication access for everybody, that I need those executive clients so I can make the money that I need to make to make the videos that everyone can watch for free. So it's not this, oh, let me drink water in the morning. No, no, no. It's by saying that, yes, I'm scared. Yes, do I have a lot of insecurity when I used to coach executives? Absolutely. But it's also by understanding that by getting through that, I can create resources for the world. And that means my fear is worth losing to the message for. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's a great analogy. And it's all about... Um being so focused on the service you're providing and con being confident in in that service and coming back to that word transformation in the transformation you can bring about in your clients that the fear because the fear is just about you isn't it like my fear to go on stage is just about me whereas what i have to offer that audience is about them 
I completely agree, and I can give you thousands of examples, literally, but I'll give you a couple off the top of my head. One of them is Brene Brown. I mean, she is the queen of vulnerability in the world. Mm. She's an extremely successful speaker and author and thought leader, and she hates public speaking. She's very public about this. She never wanted to be on a TED stage. She was a PhD in social work, spent all her life doing research in numbers and crunching, and what did she realize? Most people won't take the time to read or research people, hmm. her papers. Most people won't read her books. They either can't afford a book or they just don't have the time to invest in a book, which leaves Brene Brown with two options. And this option is true with me and everyone else, you and everyone else. Option one is just saying, I'm just going to serve my audience in the way I want them to, hmm. which is not the option she chose. Option two is saying, okay, I'm going to speak on this TED stage so that people who can't afford me who can't get my books, who can't read my research papers, maybe they're a single mother with seven children or something, they just don't have time to commit to that. They can at least watch that 20-minute YouTube video on TED, on TED. And let's assume, let's hope, that that video aspire, inspires her to do something. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are inspired by that TED Talk who weren't even mm. in that room. And that's the point I'm driving. Every great speaker has that reason. And Tony Robbins, too. He's been giving seminars for 40 years. He's obviously not doing it for the money anymore. He has a lot of money. There's no point now. He's doing it for the impact. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, I, and I think that's a really important word, the impact. Um, so coming back to the second category that I mentioned at the beginning of the, that conversation, um, because I think that ties in with the impact. So the person that believes they're comfortable speaking but are actually a, a really poor speaker or presenter they're boring they're not inspiring even though they've got fabulous content they've got fabulous expertise they actually have something that's of value to their audience but they generally end up put, boring their audience putting them to sleep or or um turning them away right how so do you address how do you address course, them I, I love the way you broke it down also again it's super interesting but here's the way i think about it there's a couple of tax that tactics that you can implement that will 10x your presentation. And I'll give you the number one. The number one tactic is that the reason most people are boring and not engaging is because they always present different presentations. You know, people come up to me again, they go, you know, Brendan, how do I get people more engaging? I'm so boring as a speaker. And I always ask them the same question. How many times have you given your presentation? They go once, twice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. They go, okay, what else do you expect? If you if you tried to make caviar or lobster or something really hard the first or second time, you think it's going to taste like how a chef would make it? You go like, well, I guess not. Well, exactly. It's the same same analogy. I've presented my keynote 350 times. Hmm. And that's nothing compared to how many times Tony has done his stuff. Same <laughs> yeah. with my podcast uh, shows, you know, my appearances. The first time I was on a show and someone like yourself would go, so tell me about Master Talk. I'm just like, uh, well, I guess Master Talk is something for my mother. I'm not really sure. And then over time, the way that I communicate that single idea improves dramatically because I'm always focused on one idea. So the secret is pick one topic that you know you're going to present for a long time. Because I get this question a lot, you know, oh, Brendan, yeah, that's great and everything, but uh, I work at a bank. What am I supposed to do that's repeatable? The, the logic that they're missing, again is what do you do outside of work? What's something that you really care about? Is it recipes? 
Is it running a marathon? Is are you coaching a a sports team, a little leagues team, like a baseball team or a rugby team or a footy team, or just a leadership program? If you find that one thing, you could present that a hundred times. It's all about picking the right topic. And for you, Yogan, the topic is simple. It's your own podcast. You want to promote your podcast to different people in your city, to different organizations. You have to always present it all the time. The content isn't going to change. Hmm. Only your audience will change. So that's a good example of a repeatable topic. Second thing I'd recommend, the puzzle method. Public speaking, again, is like a puzzle. You know those jigsaw puzzles you kind of put together with your family? Mm. Yeah. So, so if I asked you, again, if you're working on this puzzle yourself, which pieces would you start with first and why? Yeah, yeah. I'd start with the corner pieces because that kind of gives you the boundaries and then build from the corner pieces, build the edges. Absolutely. I completely agree. But the thing is we need to realize is why don't we do that in public speaking, <laughs> right? We have a business presentation. We have a work-related presentation, a school presentation. So what do we do? We shove a bunch of content in our presentations. We start with the middle pieces first. So when we get to the end of that presentation, we get to the last slide and we look at the crowd and go, uh, yeah, so, uh, thanks. <laughs> That's probably 95% of the presentations I've seen in my life. So how do we fix that? We fix that by understanding the following. Like you said, when we start a puzzle, we start with the edges first. We need to do that in public speaking too. Present your introduction 50 times, not three times, not five times, 50 times. It'll actually take you an hour. It's not that hard. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie? with the terrible ending, a terrible movie, mm. 50 times. In two hours of practice, you'll have already changed your entire communication ability. You look at your presentation, you're like, wow, I'm really good at this introduction, this conclusion. I'm a pretty good speaker. That's all you need. Then you use the confidence and you tackle the middle. But much like a puzzle, who does puzzles on their own? Nobody. Right? Do it with a friend, do it with family, do it with people who want to work on their communication skills and master the puzzle. And also, I would love to add, you are an amazing example of this too. Right? The first time you did an introduction, you probably weren't that good at it. You're like, oh, you know, Brendan is something. Is he on Twitter? I'm not really sure. And then after 50 times or 25 times or 20 times, you're a lot more confident in the way that you intro. So same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the confidence part certainly is is a big thing. And if you know the tactics and bringing that in, that's um, that makes a big difference. And I love the idea. I mean, one of the the key points here going through both of those recommendations is repetition and just really practicing that. And I know, you know we're at, uh, I think we're at about 376 episode of this show. Now, I don't have wow. the number in front of me right now, but uh, by the time... The, listener is hearing this they'll know which episode it is and if you go back to episode one and episode 10 let's say and listen into that my whole approach to podcasting was a lot less polished than it is now and that comes about by repetition and by the way guilty is charged my people can <laughs> my old videos are still up for a reason you can see me in my mother's basement just going that look like this uh uh, uh hi everyone uh, my name is uh, and i'm sitting there like why am i doing this video 
I look really mm. stupid. And then 18 months later, it's, did you know that 57% that I get into my master's yeah, yeah. stuff? Yeah. Great. All right. Well, there was one other thing that I really liked about the puzzle analogy, and that was the um, the idea, and I wonder if you could talk to this a little bit, the idea, because you talked about having one one topic that you talk about, but then let's say you're doing a workshop that goes over a bunch of days and there's lots of different topics there. Now, the, you know, there's an umbrella topic and there's a whole lot of little subtopics underneath that, um, but essentially you're doing maybe 50 different presentations during that day. But depending on how the workshop is going and how the participants are responding, those presentations will change on the fly. So you're not going to deliver, at least if you're a good coach or a good trainer, you're not going to deliver, here's, here's what I've practiced and it's going to be like this regardless of what's going on in the environment, in the audience or the feedback I'm getting. So the puzzle analogy to me is kind of how can you build little bits and pieces that you throw together on the fly. So you've got these little modules that you rehearse and have down pat and put them together. Is that an approach that you endorse and how would you go about that? Right. So here's the way I think about it. Ruben. Even if you're giving a three-day workshop, my assumption that I like to drive, that I recommend people to start with, is even if your topics change, your overarching theme doesn't. So let's say when I give corporate workshops to clients of mine, let's say at a company, yeah, sure, day one would be how do you gauge your audience? Day two would be how do you structure a presentation? Day three would be something else. But the overarching theme remains the same, which is communication. And I'd even argue my entire life's work, my entire intention for me showing up on a show like this is in one sentence, which is convince you that you can master communication. If I achieve that one key idea, it's over. You'll rewatch this episode. You'll watch, you'll follow me on YouTube. You'll watch all my free stuff. You go on Instagram. You'll watch all my free stuff there. You'll do coaching. You'll go to Toastmasters. You'll take action if I convince you. If I don't convince you, you won't do any of those things. So even regardless of how long or complex the ideas are, all of the experts and what they do can simmer it down to one sentence. Once again, I give one other example here. Tony Robbins, great analogy. He's probably listened, read every single book on NLP in the world, probably, because he's been doing it for 40 years. But when he gives presentation, he's not spewing all that knowledge onto you for like 16 hours. Yeah, sure, he gives a lot of info. But at the end of the day, he's trying to convince you of one thing, to shock you into believing that you could do whatever it is you want to do. And if he achieves that, you'll do whatever you want. You'll do whatever he wants you to do, whether it's buy his programs, invest in his coaching, go take action on the thing, and then recommend him as a speaker to other organizations. So the way that I think about it is puzzle applies nonetheless. How do you start every single day of your workshop? What intention are you starting? How are you beginning that? Pre How are you closing this presentation? And then as you're tackling the middle, you figure it out. But obviously, as the presentation gets longer, then the ideas just get a bit more complicated. But I would argue the structure remains the same if you want people to remember what you're saying in those three days. Hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. I love that outline. And in particular, I mean, you said something there that I think is probably worth emphasizing some more, and that's the intention. What's the intention of this day? What's the intention of this segment? What's the intention of this presentation? 
And then coming back to what you said, the vision, the overarching vision, if you could distill that down to one point. So for me, I mean, I talk about let's make marketing human again. And I've started doing some uh, connection events and networking event, well, anti-networking events in a way, because they're about making networking human again. So it's all this kind of, you know, the building relationships with people to actually create some magic or create some, to create whatever it might be. So yeah, having that vision is so important, isn't it? I absolutely agree with you. And I love that tagline, by the way. <laughs> really good. Okay. Now, one of the things that we touched on briefly earlier was the um, pandemic and how all these live events are transitioning to virtual. So what advice do you have for people as they um, let's say they're reasonably confident of going on stage to present in front of a live audience. Let's say they're really good at that. Let's say they get a lot of energy and derive a lot of, um, or actually gear their presentation around the feedback that they're getting from the audience at any given time. And by feedback, I, I'm, when I say that, I mean the verbal cues, the, you know, the, Nonverbal cues, the body language, the whether people are falling asleep or not. So not not people actually telling them, hey, it's good or it's not good. It's actually the all the subtle cues that they're getting, and they're really good at that. How do they transition to an online presentation that gives them the energy that they normally get from that in-person one? And also, what other adjustments do they need to make in the online space? Absolutely. So a good way of simmering this down, Jürgen, is by answering, understanding the following. The difference between an online presentation and an offline one is that in the online world, we cannot gauge how our audience reacts to us. So I'll give you an example. Let's say, you know, I'm giving a workshop near you in person and I say a joke. Two things are going to happen. Number one, you either laugh at the joke and you go, wow, Brendan's such a funny guy. or B which is more likely, you'll look at me and say, man, this guy, not funny. Why is he saying joke? But what's great about in-person, as I can see that on your face, I can see you, I can see everyone around you and say, okay, I am not a funny person. Maybe I should adapt. I don't have that luxury in the online world. The same joke that I said with the same amount of enthusiasm, the same amount of positivity, the same amount of energy, I need to assume it's funny. Join a mm. Zoom call with 20 people and all of their cameras are off. I don't know if they're laughing. Even in this very conversation we're having right now, we're one-on-one. -on -one. I don't really know how you're reacting to me. Why? Because I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at the camera lens. Mm. Right? So to give you the illusion that I'm looking at you directly, which is bizarre. So what are the tips now that we understand that context? Number one, picture the perfect audience. Speak to one person, that crowd that you actually do know. Have a conversation with them and understand why your presentation matters. Number two is put a picture of somebody that you love or like a fruit or a food next to your camera, right? your lens. So you're always looking at the camera lens. That's something you can do that's super easy. And then number three is understand that your audience always has positive intentions. This is not something you'll get overnight. This is something you'll get over time. That's what I mean by that. When I was on my first show, 
like this type of show, it was very nerve wracking for me because it's essentially a stranger asking you questions about your life. And you're just there like, uh, yeah, who's, who's this guy? But then over time, you know, at the end of every show, people go, well, Brendan, that was really good or that was really bad. But either way, you know, you get some feedback. You start to realize that, wait a second, these people are really great. So the perception of your audience is changes very rapidly, especially if you're very clear on the ideas you want to share with people. So it goes very quickly from, who's this Jurgen guy? What's this podcast about? To, wow, look at all the podcast episodes he's doing, all the value he's adding. He's trying to make marketing human again and networking human again. I'm going to assume that I've known him for five years. And I'm going to speak to him as if that is the case. That is something that you learn over time with your presentations. But eventually, as you keep talking to your audience and getting feedback from them, that belief system eventually becomes true. Hmm. Yeah, that's um, that's a great mindset hack there in terms of, and I'm, I'm trying to look at my camera now because you've kind of called me out. Um, I, <laughs> it's okay, this I is audio anyways. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I, I am watching watching your response so that I know when I can jump in and I'm not interrupting you. That's what I typically do with my guests, but I guess I need to step back and learn to expand my vision a bit. The But the idea of having the mindset of these people have good intent for me. And as long as I provide value to them, then it's it's probably going to be good. And I guess what, what are some of the things you do, given that you can't read the body language or you know people rolling their eyes or whether they're laughing at your jokes, what are some of the things you can do to kind of get people engaged in an online environment? Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me for hacks, for tricks, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I won't give the shortcut because there isn't any. Here's the mm. real shortcut. Presented so many times that you're more confident or so confident that it won't fail, right? The reason I present well online is not because I'm special. It's because I've delivered the same keynote over and over and over again. That is where confidence comes from. It comes from the understanding that you can ace one presentation. And then the skills that you get from that one presentation, you start to apply to everything else in your life and everything, every conversation you have, every presentation you give, same rationale here. There's no like ball you can start throwing up in the air that's going to get people's attention in a presentation. Be so good at communicating that one singular idea that you become unstoppable. Once again, I'll use myself as an example. When I started Master Talk. I didn't have the idea for the puzzle analogy. I used to explain st speech structure in a very academic, boring <laughs> way. I used to say, oh, well, Jurgen, you know, you got your key idea, main idea, defend. I've already lost people. Like, like, this is, I can't, I can't do this. He's too good at public speech. I don't want to learn from him. Right? And that doesn't help my audience. But then I was coaching a client. This was uh, nine months ago. And she wasn't understanding my speech structure. Even if I was explaining it really slowly, I think she was tired that day or something. And she was an executive of the company. And I just said, how can I explain this easily? And I just looked in my basement. And I saw like a puzzle somewhere. And I just said, uh, you know, actually, when I think about it, pub like public is like a puzzle. And she goes, oh, really? How? And I go, uh, well, it's like edges. You know how you do the edges first? And then she goes, oh, that makes so much sense to me. And I go, wait a second. I gotta, and then I wrote it down on my notepad hmm. for all my YouTube ideas. I made a video on it that's coming out in like two years or something. But after I wrote the blog and I read it, I said, I have to use this for my podcast appearance. 
So even my ideas are always evolving over time. And that's the key is to fall in love with that process and see your audience getting mind blown. Like I always love it. It never gets old for me, even if I do a lot of shows, as you probably know. Like when I look at your face and you go, whoa, this puzzle thing is like incredible. I go, yes. Cool, yeah. That's mm. working, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it brings up brings up the idea or uh, the concept that if you use metaphors to explain things or, or stories or and both uh, that it really can hammer home a point and, and and get people to understand something that perhaps they didn't understand before when you were kind of breaking it down into an academic framework um, or a structure or trying to justify this is why you do it this way. And yet if you bring that metaphor in, it's all of a sudden, oh, yeah. Right. I, I find that such a gift. Like if I think about your space, I mean, Seth Godin is a personal hero of mine. And I, I binge his podcast. I've, I've like his book came out two weeks ago. I already read it like two days after it came out. Oh, right a bit ahead I, of me. I've just right. bought it. On it's, really, it's good. It's, it's I, you already know it's good. You don't even need to read it. Too. Yeah. Right. But the, what's great about Seth is the way that he simmers down very complex ideas of marketing in a way like a five year old can understand it. Right. Mm. This whole idea that marketing is always about culture. I'm always like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. So I, th I think people who try to do that are, are real gifts to, to society. We need more people like that who, are, who aren't afraid to use weird, bizarre analogies to explain something that actually helps people. That, by the way, as a side note, that's why I'm frustrated with my entire industry. You know, and I started Talk, my coaching practice and my YouTube channel, all that stuff. I looked at everyone and I was like, what are you all doing? Like, you're, you're explaining things really academically. Yeah, who cares if you have a PhD? Like if people aren't sharing their ideas, then what does what does it matter? So I started changing my tune there. All right. Um, one other question I had in terms of presenting a speech or presenting a, a presentation and rehearsing that, do you script it? Depends. That's the short answer. So in the case of YouTube, I script all my videos. The reason is simple. Uh, in, in a video context, I can't clarify. Like you can't ask me a question in the middle of the video. So I need to make sure it's so clear that everything's structured and it flows really well. So in that case, I always structure. Same thing with really short speeches. If you have two minutes to give a talk, I highly recommend you script every word, you memorize every word. Ah, memorize is just a strong word. I wouldn't necessarily say memorize. I would say know, know exactly what you're talking about because you don't have a lot of time. Hmm. But that's a very small percentage of most presentations. Most presentations are 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. So I wouldn't memorize in those cases and I wouldn't script either for very long presentations. I would just make an outline. What do I want to talk about? Why do I want to talk about those things? And then over time, especially if you always present the same thing, you'll start to refine that curriculum. In the same way, um, Tony Robbins has you know, revamped Unleash the Power Within for 40 years. And Dave with Destiny as well. I think he's been doing that for 30 years or something. Right? It starts as a five-day event. He doesn't really know what he's doing. But then after a couple of years go by, he goes, this is working really well. This isn't. And then he tweaks it. Now it's the amazing product it is today. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, that's great advice. Okay. Well, this is fascinating. I could go on talking, speaking for ages, but I'm aware of the time. And I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. And it's designed to help our leaders uh, or our listeners who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I have five questions and 
hopefully you'll give us a, some really insightful tips that'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. So Happy to. What, do you, what do you think the number one thing is anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Yes. Ask yourself hard questions. I've always believed in this idea that the quality of your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. And that's from Tony Robbins. And the reason why I believe that's so important is the following. All great insights, as Peter Thiel, who's the founder of PayPal, puts it best, all stem from controversy, secrets that very few people believe that most people think is BS. It's like if I told you 10 years ago, you'd again, you know, here's what you're going to do on your next vacation. You're going to sleep at a stranger's house and pay them money for it. Yeah. So this guy is crazy. What's he doing in his basement uh, talking about this podcast? He's out of his mind. And that's also Airbnb that's going public mm. next month, right? And then there's, oh, by the way, Jorgen, you're going to take your nephew and put them in a stranger's car instead of giving them your own car to drive. Once again, you would have like, this guy's nuts. But today that's Uber. A lot of wealthy families would rather give their kids unlimited Uber than buy them a car because they might get mm. intoxicated at a party. It's a lot safer for them. That's the point I'm driving. The mm. number one thing that you can do for innovation, to be more innovative, is to ask yourself one hard question every day. What are you pretending not to know? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? And what is the one truth that you believe in that most people think isn't true? Hmm. Yeah, I love it. I, I've been reading quite a lot of books about um, questions and, and really getting into that idea of asking powerful questions. And I'm just trying to think of the title of this book. It's by Will Wise and Chad Littlefield. I think it's called Ask Powerful Questions, but it's quite amazing. So I sort of you reminded me of that. But they they talk about you know the whole range of things, creating relationships through asking better questions, creating relationship with yourself, you know, really digging in and understanding problems through asking better questions. So the whole gamut and they give lots of great examples there. So I love love your answer to that. Of course. Great. Okay, now what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Uh, I always like saying things people don't say. So I have this mantra that I follow, <laughs> which is be insane or be the same. Uh, I think it's really cultivating my own insanity that has made me very effective at creating and innovating on new things. So I'll give you an example. I'm a very bizarre character. Right, I started a YouTube channel on public speaking communication tips at the age of 22. And then after that, I started coaching executives of companies at the age of 23. But I also still live in my mother's basement. I don't own a car. I'm literally talking to on a mattress, Jurgen. Right? I, I can like leave. I can go buy like a really big house, all this stuff. I don't do any of those things. I also dance alone in my basement for an hour a day. And I can karaoke in eight different languages. All of these... Things seem childish, right? You're listening to me like, why is he telling me all this? <laughs> Let me tell you why this is important. Because I'm so comfortable in my skin and I question everything, right? Why are we saving up for retirement if Steve Jobs died at 56? He had all the best doctors in the world. Kobe Bryant died at 41. None of this makes any sense. And once you realize that nothing makes sense, the only thing left to do is to make sense of it yourself, to make your own rules. Once you realize that all the rules are made up. But if you never get there first, 
You're never going to get the cool insight. You know, maybe you're a banker right now and as an executive and you start to be more insane. You start to tell people about your love for cupcakes and you realize, wait a second, I have the best cupcake recipe in the world. Why am I working at a bank? Hmm. Right. But you don't get to those insights. So I think for me, it's all about making a list of all of the weird things that you do and communicating that. I guarantee you 95% of the people who are listening right now aren't willing to do that. And I think if you do, it'll add a lot of value to your life because you'll find out who your real friends are and what you're actually supposed to do in life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot of, uh, lot of great messages in that. So thanks for sharing that. And thanks for sharing, all, sharing your list with us, essentially. Of course, yeah. Yeah. What's a favorite resource that you use most often? Resource. Let me, let me just make sure I knock out this question. So would, it, is, would that be a book or is that an app or it could really be anything I want it to it be? It could be anything you want it to be. Okay, so I'll recommend my favorite book then. My favorite book of all time, especially for the impact people out there, is Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison is the person I admire the most in the world. He's the CEO of Charity Water. It's a nonprofit he started to help the world gain access to clean drinking water. But I think what I love the most about Scott is the way that he's applied storytelling personal branding and messaging in the way that he sold his charity and the cause behind it. So he used to be a nightclub promoter in New York City. He used to sell bottles of champagne for $500 to a lot of wealthy people. And he uses a lot of those same marketing strategies and applies them into philanthropy. I think he's the best case on how to use your ideas to make a difference in the world. And he's also just an amazing human being. So I highly recommend his book. All right. Well, that's great. Well, um, I, I'm not familiar with that, so I'll have to add that to my reading list and we'll certainly post a link to it in the show notes as well. Of course. Now, what's the best way to keep your clients on track? Oh, that's interesting. What's the best way to keep my clients on track? So many things. So many things I probably shouldn't mention on the show because people won't like me if I say those things. <laughs> but, but I would say the biggest one is to always remind them why they started. You know, for example, let's say I'm, I'm talking to a client and they're, they're, you know, they're ready to give up on their communication. They're like, Brendan, I've been trying this for 20 years. I don't want to do it. I always ask him this question. And the question is, how would the world change if you were an incredible speaker? How would the world be different if you have an incredible message? So the way this translates to a lot of people who are listening right now who are purpose-driven entrepreneurs, Jürgen, as you probably know, I mean, it's your show, is, is the idea that they have an idea we're sharing. They have a product, a service, this movement, but they're scared of public speaking. So what they need to get clear on is what happens if they weren't afraid of public speaking. They could share their products, their services, their love for what they do with millions of people because this is what people need to understand that I, I tell my clients to understand that Gary Tan talks a lot about is this idea that the breakthrough is only half the battle. Just because you have the stellar idea doesn't mean you win. Just because you have the execution doesn't mean you win. It just means you're halfway there. The other half is communicating it to the world. Sure, I can make videos, but if I never appear on shows, how is anyone going to find out about those videos? We need to promote. We need to communicate. We need to scale our ideas in the same way, effort, and detailed approach that we used to create those ideas in the first place. Mm, yeah, I love that answer. I, I, and I particularly love your quote about how how would the world change if you were an incredible speaker? And I think that talks to a lot of the fears that people have, whether it's speaking, whether it's presenting, whether it's doing their marketing, whether it's promoting themselves and their what they do. 
Um, but if they take the approach of, hey, what I have to give will change the world, then keep that front and center. Oh, yeah. And, and one thing I always like to push for people who are like, oh, I don't want to be a keynote speaker. I don't want to be a YouTuber like you, Brendan, or a very successful podcaster like yourself. You know, again. What, what I always reply with is you need to understand communication has very little to do with just public speaking or what you're doing. It's everything. It's the conversation you have with your loved ones. It's the way that you communicate to your family. It's the way that you get dinner with your friends. It's every interaction that you have. So for you, the reason to master communication doesn't even need to be your product or your business. It could simply be, hey, you know, I always argue with my wife all the time. Mm. But if I knew how to communicate properly, a lot of those fights would just go away. Yeah, that's right. It, it's all pervasive, isn't it? Absolutely. Right across life. All right. And finally, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Right. Here's something I was telling a friend this morning, actually, so I'm happy to share. Your unique gifts, I'll repeat it twice. Your unique gift is the sum of all of the qualities that make, rather, the, all, all the sum of all the qualities that an average human being would find insane. So let me repeat that again. Your unique gift is the sum of all of the qualities that you have that an average human being would find insane. It's not the fact that I'm a YouTuber that makes me different. It's not the fact that I can karaoke in eight languages. It's not the fact that I can dance for now, you know, for so much time in my basement. It's not the fact that I make generous YouTube videos and talk like this. It's all of the above. Hmm. It's because I do all of those things. Because I dance, I can make a video on the relationship between dance and public speaking. It's because I karaoke that I can make the analogy between, hey, the best way to practice pronunciation is to practice languages that you don't know. If I sing songs in German, if I sing songs in Italian, like buongiorno, come stai, right? I start changing languages, my pronunciation in English is going to get better. It's because I do all of these weird things that makes me unique. So you need to do the same thing. Hmm. I love that. <laughs> so much to add there. And I love the, the little formula <laughs> that's First. embedded there. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Brendan. This has been absolutely fabulous. I've really enjoyed this. Now, where can people find out more about you and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today? Of course. Best way to get in contact with me, again, is definitely the YouTube channel. So that's master talk in one word. You could just type that up on the YouTube search engine. You'll find me in all my social medias. You can contact me, no problem. Great. And we'll make it easy by putting some links in the show notes as well. All right. Now, do you have some parting advice for our listener today? Absolutely, man. I've already given You've asked me some really good questions yeah. today, so I'm having trouble figuring out what the parting advice is. But, but I would say the big thing is to understand the following. You know, the most important habit that I really want to reiterate here is that by asking yourself a hard question about life, not only will it make you more innovative, it'll make you a completely different human being. The thing that made me different than everyone else, again, given my age and my relative success, has nothing to do with my accolades, how cool I am or how unique. It is the level of questioning that I did to myself at a very young age. I wrote my own funeral speech when I was 20 you know, I started asking, you know, what would happen if, you know, my mom died, which is why I live with my mom, because I don't know when she's going to pass. I want to spend as much time as I can with her. All that stuff is because I questioned everything in the culture scape, 
the culture scape means everything in our culture, that I've been able to make decisions that only make sense to me. And that's what I want for every human being. Get a good example of this, and it's a good way to close. Your definition of happiness. What is your definition of happiness? Most people copy everyone else's. You know what mine is? Yeah. Mine is yelling at my friends at a restaurant about controversial subjects that literally bother people at the restaurant. It's clubbing for seven hours straight. Even if I don't drink, I just like to dance a lot. And it's asking people very uncomfortable questions about their life. Like, it's, it's like I met you at, a, at an event, at a coffee shop. I would ask you questions like this. If you were God, what would you do first and why? It's just a really <laughs> weird question. And most people who are listening to us are going, well, I don't want to do that, Brendan. I don't want to sing songs. I don't want to do all this mm -hmm. stuff. And that's the point. Where's your list? Yeah. Make it. And then yeah, make I your own it. rules. Yeah. yeah. And I'll have to borrow that question because I think that's a really deep one. And, I'll and send you all of them at the end. <laughs> the, the answer can um, the answer can really give you some insights into that person because that's about actually making a connection. So instead of saying, "Oh, how are you, Brendan?" and your response typically will be, "Oh, I'm good," uh, which well, yeah. doesn't tell me anything. Or you might say, "Well, I'm, I'm sort of okay today. I've had a hard day." Or you might say, oh, "I'm really excited because." Well, actually, generally, you might that if you are really excited, you might give me more. You might say because something's happened, and then I can explore further. But normally, it's I'm good, thank you. Okay. How are you? Yeah. And there's no conversation, right? All right. Now, finally, who else should I get on this podcast, and why? Oh, definitely Scott Harrison. You know, if I knew him personally, I would make an introduction. But I, I think Scott Harrison is the person you want on your show. He's the epitome of impact. He is someone that I care deeply about, and he's someone you should definitely have on the show. All right. Well, we'll have to reach out to him. So um, look, I'm exploring ways to reach out to these people that um, I don't have the personal connection to, or my guest doesn't have the personal connection to either. So um, I'll, you've given me another reason to start exploring or experimenting with some of these ideas. I've got to reach out to those people. So thanks for that, Brendan. And thanks for all all you've shared with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your insights with us so generously. I've really enjoyed this. I hope you've had fun and I'm looking forward to sharing this with my audience. So please stay in touch and all the best for the future. Of course. Thanks so much for having me here again. I hope you enjoyed that fascinating and really informative conversation with Brendan and took something away from his episode. Practice, practice, practice was a big message. Not sexy, but really effective. Particularly the cornerstones of your presentation, the start and the end. I'd love to know what you took away from Brendan's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Brendan Kumarasamy or innovabiz.co forward slash Brendan K. That is B-R-E-N-D-E-N-K. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Brendan K or innovabiz.co forward slash Brendan Kumarasamy. You'll also find contact information for getting in touch with Brendan there, as well as links to the Master Talk website, to the YouTube channel, 
his social media pages and the other resources we spoke about in today's conversation. Now, if you like this episode, please do share it with two other people that it might help, people that might be struggling with their public speaking. Tag me in that share and to thank you for helping others with this fabulous content, I'll reach out to you with a special surprise. Brendan suggested that we have a conversation with Scott Harrison, author of Thirst on a Future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So Scott, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast courtesy of Brendan Kumarasamy. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast. We've got even more fantastic guests lined up, including Tendai Vicky, the author of Pirates in the Navy and associate partner at Strategizer, and also Brooke Sellis of B Squared Media and the Marketing Companion podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.